Hey, y'all. Welcome to Water Break. We're excited to be moving Cross Politic to a nightly show next week. Yep. We will be airing everything at 6 p.m. Pacific time. That's, you know, northern Idaho time. And Water Break will be moving to our Sunday special. Yay, John. In order to make all this go smoothly, we have updated our app to seamlessly stream our show to your phone and your smart devices. So download the Fight, Laugh, Ease app on your phone and smart devices. Um, it's a great setup. And actually, chat features going to be integrated here, hopefully, by Sunday night, by the, by our last Sunday special for CrossPolitik before it goes into its weekly programming. Mm-hmm. You didn't give me a chance to celebrate. You said, yay, John, and then you cut me off mid-celebration. Well, um, celebrate. Hooray! <laughs> That's it? That's all I could get from you. You, you had all this buildup. That's it. I appreciate it. It's important to me. Speaking of smart devices, smartphones, Accountable to You. This episode is brought to you by Accountable to You. Using a smartphone or a computer opens the door to a host of digital temptations in a world saturated with pornography and other harmful content. What's a Christian to do? We need to take a proactive approach, welcoming transparency in our digital media choices. And Accountable to You, that's Accountable to the letter to U, makes that easy. Their accountability software shares detailed activity reports from all your devices and your kids' devices, which is what gets me so excited about it, in real time to the accountability partners that you choose. With accountability in place, your family can effectively guard against temptations online and live in with purity and integrity. Learn more at accountable2u.com forward slash FLF. You put that forward slash FLF in, they know we sent you. So, cannonball or belly flop, John? It's no secret that government universities and K-12 schools are liberal bastions for inbreeding and groupthink. I went to University of Idaho from 2002 to 2005, and being involved in campus ministry, I ran into my fair share of closed-minded liberal teachers and illogical students. The product of our modern education system is not producing good fruit. We have raised a generation of students who are highly emotional and at the same time are unable to think you know, through things very logically. This is a bad cocktail, but it should be no surprise to us knowing that the farther we get away from God and the truth found in his word, the farther our culture falls into, you know, insane thinking, illogical thinking. Men can be women. How many pronoun preferences does Facebook offer right now? Do you even know what a furry is, John? I sure do. Okay. (laughs) Well, you shouldn't. And now feminism. Who fought for over a century for a false, you know, this false respect in the workplace. Well, they can't even define what a woman is anymore. What is a woman? You know, ask all the women feminists and they'll say, I'm not a biologist. I live in a conservative state, Idaho. And yet, if we don't work hard to change the direction of Idaho with our, with our blood, sweat, and tears over the next 20 years, and of course, all surrounded by the grace of God, Idaho will go liberal. It will because we did nothing to undo liberalism running rampant in our public schools. Our public school's central mission is to disciple children to vote liberal. That's what's happening. This is not going to be easy, especially given the fact that government schools will go to amazing lengths to try and rid their schools of conservative leaders and professors. And my guest today is no stranger to the liberal buzzsaw of intolerance. Scott Yenner is a professor at BSU the author of Recovering of the Family Life and board member at the Ambrose School in Boise. Scott, thank you for coming on. 
Thanks for having me up here. So you are um, a prof at BSU. Um, but what you know, kind of maybe give us a little more of your like your educational background and and experience, and and then you know what you're currently teaching at, at BSU. Yeah, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Wisconsin. I went to University of Wisconsin Eau Claire uh, as an undergraduate and cheesehead, huh? Yeah, I'm a Packer season ticket holder, and uh, I went and got my PhD at Loyola University in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I fell into a great education at both places. Uh, I had several really good professors. And I, I think I left much better than I uh, went into the whole system. And uh, that was kind of my pledge when I came to Boise State in 2000, that I was going to try to be a really good liberal arts professor okay. and, uh, and you know, teach the great ideas as, as long as I could on the modern university. I kind of knew what I was getting into. It's not like uh, liberal arts were something that was celebrated all over the modern research university at that time. Right. Uh, I was really prepared for uh, the situation. And uh, I, you know, wrote several, you know, articles that you need to write to get tenure. And I was uh, promoted uh, to full professor in 2010. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've taken to writing on the family. Uh, okay. I've written two books on the family, one in 2010 and one just a couple of years ago, the one you referred to, The Recovery of Family Life. Okay. And so you're a tenured professor. Tenured full professor. Wow. And so um, you've, you've, a couple times I've kind of run into kind of cancel culture at BSU. Um, the, f- the first time is it, it's almost like it was both the same instances. You went and spoke somewhere and then came home and they tried to cancel you. What was the first time? Yeah, the first time was writing actually for the heritage right. foundation. Okay. Uh, and I wrote a little article about how transgender ideology uh, would threaten parent rights. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this in 2016 and, uh, and that was the first stir of uh, cancel culture that I had. Wow. Uh, it was, you know, it, it was around a little bit then, and it was kind of the boyhood of cancel culture compared to the second time, right? Where I, uh, uh, which happened last fall, and we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. And, and the first time you actually ended up on Tucker Carlson because of uh, your little letter to the editor of the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote a wrote a nice blog, and yeah. uh, and you know the faculty senate considered moving against me but didn't um the uh you know just kind of a real big stir about having me fired uh, lots of placards on campus uh saying that i have blood on my hands and things like that wow and uh and you know we fought back really effectively there was no legal action taken against me at that time so yeah. i could immediately start fighting back against the uh false narrative that was uh painted against me right and uh so we wrote you know we wrote for several different out outlets okay. and ended up uh tucker ended up seeing some of our writings and had us on okay and then now just this past year it started in what 2021 um you went and spoke at a national conservative conference on on family, on marriage and family. And what was your talk about first? Yeah, it was the National Conservatism Conference uh, okay. that was in Orlando at the beginning of November. And my talk was on why great nations need great families. And uh, so much about our culture does not support great families. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was my goal in the talk, uh, speaking to a conservative audience, to get the conservatives to think a little bit about our failures uh, to promote a healthy environment for families to thrive mm-hmm. and to have us assess uh, you know, what we need to do in the future. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, I lay much of the responsibility for the decline of family life in modern America on the doorstep of feminism and sexual liberation theory. Okay. And uh, they're informing our laws and really uh, informing our education system and our culture. And I think it's really impossible to have healthy, thriving, big families uh, while those two ideologies are predominant in the culture. Okay. So, you know, I first of all made that point. And that was and November 2021. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then you, um, after that talk, you, you know, you pretty benign conservative talk. I mean, most conservatives would, would sign off to that at some level. Um, you, you come home and nothing had happened yet. Any, any stirring? Yeah, I mean, it was about three weeks. Uh, I, you know, the thing had fallen stillborn from the presses, as they say, and uh, and uh, nothing had happened. Uh, I was over Thanksgiving break. I started getting emails from some old students who were more active on social media than I am, which is not hard to do. Yeah, it's not hard to be more active <laughs> yeah. on social media than I am. And uh, they said that uh, you know parts of my video had gone viral. Okay, and uh, and I didn't think much of it. But from the first time, kind of, I knew what the indications of cancel like, culture of, were, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of what it would be. And uh, Monday morning after Thanksgiving break, when I sat down to get my lectures ready for that day, I got like 12 emails within three minutes <laughs> um, from from weird email addresses that are too vulgar to say on the air. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you later if you want. Like. <laughs> I read um, your papers. I read, <laughs> I read the email addresses you included in there. <laughs> and... Um, and uh, so I knew, like, right then it was going to happen again. And okay. uh, and so it was about a month after the speech. The interesting thing about that, I mean, maybe the first lesson on it, is that, you know, social media is really the tail that wags the dog. Yeah. And uh, no one at the university, uh, you know, said anything about the speech that I gave a month ago that had right. been online for three weeks. Um, right. No one said anything about my book, which had been written, you know, and published 18 months ago yeah. and contained many of the same thoughts uh, or my other kind of lengthy online writings that I have. Okay. Uh, it really requires social media to spring the university into action. Wow. And so um, what was interesting about this time was you, the students, actually filed a title nine complaint against you um and they started they filed a complaint against you because of stuff or how you were treating women in the classroom so the talk got them all ticked off and then they're then they tried to scheme to figure out okay well how can we get at scott and the handle there was title nine in the classroom um what was the connection between title nine and and the classroom yeah, um, let, let's go back for just a second. Okay. Uh, I mean, what, what the university kind of put out, a call for complaints against me. Like, if you feel like you've been discriminated <laughs> against or harassed by wow. Professor Yenner, you should contact this number and this person. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, Shazam, within a week, um, I had a Title IX case. Wow. Now, Title IX is a federal law that all universities in uh, that take federal money have to adhere to in one way or another. Yeah. And uh, it's a law against discrimination uh, against women in higher education. Right. It originally applied mostly to sports and things. Right. Um, and then there's a harassment component to it as well. Um, so if you have sexual harassment or any kind of harassment mm -hmm. or sexual discrimination or any kind of discrimination. So university solicited some, you know, complaints uh, against you, complaints against yeah. me. And sh as I say, Shazam, they got them. Yeah. Um, Surprise. Several, uh, yeah. several students 
um, made allegations which are actually very easily refutable, uh-huh. like I grade women harder than yeah. men in class, or I call on women. Don't less. women want to be more successful? You know. Well, it is hard to know what discrimination <laughs> is. I mean, is it is it better to be treated like to higher standards or lower or, standards? Yeah. I mean, one could make those arguments. I didn't. I didn't bring that stuff up. Um, well, how do you how do you grade the furries, Scott? <laughs> As little as I can. And, uh, <laughs> That's funny, John. And um, so, you know, so those charges were immediately made. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, often universities act as a kind of gatekeeper to see if the uh, charges make pass the smell test. Yeah. And uh, but Boise State, in their particular case, just translated every raw charge into a allegation or a grievance uh-huh. and uh you know let me know that i'd be investigated uh-huh. um and uh so yeah that was that was at the beginning of december okay so you were investigated for grading women unfairly uh another complaint was you were not allowing the women to talk as much as the men in class um that was another com- title line complaint against you um was there one more yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a longer story, and I'll give you a thumbnail mm-hmm. sketch of yep. it. Um, the, Boise State made some allegations against me that it didn't seem to know was outside of its own statute of limitations. Yep. And when I complained about that, they dropped those charges. Yep. But then, like within two days, they added new charges. Yeah. And uh, the new charges could be summarized like this. Uh, we thought you were a misogynist, but you're also a racist. And uh, so they Seriously. made uh, allegations that I harassed students uh, of color uh-huh. in class or created an environment in class that was hostile yep. to uh, to American Indians. And, uh-huh. you know, so there were very specific uh, specific charges and uh, so, yeah, so I ended up having the sexual discrimination and racial harassment yeah. charges. Yeah, so part of the uh, the, the dual factor or whatever. Yeah, Not, the, the daily double. I was a daily double. Okay. Thing. Okay, so the Title IX complaints. John, I mean, I'm just thinking about, like, stand-up comedy. I mean, if you were under Title IX <laughs> in your stand-up comedy, you lose. Right. There's no way to – There's there's no way that – that would be uh, – there's no way you could do comedy. Well, there's no way you can communicate. I mean, stand-up comedy or, or being a professor or being anybody who tries to say anything, mm-hmm. if, there's a, if there's some sort of a uh, law in place that says you can't discriminate, I mean, every, every, every statement is – a form of discrimination, right? In, in some manner, yeah. Because you're you're not whatever whatever you're saying, you're not saying a bunch of other things. So if yeah. you've got a if you've got a a guy who's speaking up in class, well, that means that a girl is not speaking up in class <laughs> during the same time. Right. And so any anything you do is discriminating yeah. against somebody. Uh, so, so Scott, what are your like colleagues and at BSU saying to you or doing? Are they kind of starting to avoid you? I mean, what's going on in this Title IX complaint? Yeah, well, that's you know, a serious Title IX yeah, is a serious complaint. The Title IX uh, complaint itself stays kind of quashed. Uh, it's not public, mm-hmm. so very few people knew what was going on. Okay, uh, and only you know we can talk a little bit more about the process, but only 
just in the last month or so, I've been exonerated insofar as you can be exonerated in these yeah. procedures. Um, but, you know, uh, they don't need the Title IX procedures to do something. Uh-huh. And uh, most of the various colleges, you know, uh, schools of engineering, my own school of public service, uh, the faculty senate, you know, they put out condemnatory uh, statements uh-huh. and, uh, you know, acted as if what I had said at NatCon was that women shouldn't be allowed in college. Yeah. And uh, they all stood up for the idea that women should be allowed in college. And uh, so that's And nice. you're like, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I rarely try to, but uh, sometimes <laughs> I accidentally do, yeah. Yeah. And so... You, you, it seems, it ahead, seems to me like maybe the, the uh, college would be reluctant to have have the word get out that their various professors are violating title nine right i mean isn't there some sort of a wouldn't they wouldn't they try to keep the lid on that because it seems like if if people are looking at the college and everyone well look at how look at all the professors that they've got that are violating title nine yeah violating title nine i'm not going to go to that school yeah i mean it's a weird thing because uh at really elite schools they compete with one another to have more title nine prosecutions like this is how seriously we take sexual discrimination and sexual harassment yeah so uh so you have things like actually a boon for them yeah yeah. harvard and harvard and yale and princeton compete with one another to to say like look how many uh campus allegations we had last year of this and and you know and people still want to come so it's uh but it always justifies a further kind of extension of what the, those universities are doing now your your first one you know you grade unfairly that's got to be pretty easy to demonstrate here's my grades over the last 15 years look at it male female and furry john um uh, that's probably pretty easy to prove that you weren't. Um, yeah, I had the receipts. I had the grading. receipts yeah. on that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the second one, um, raising hands in class, letting girls speak. No, or not, not letting girls speak. Letting you know, um, college male students speak. What? What? How do you prove yourself on that? Well, one? after my first uh, cancellation <laughs> attempt, I made a certain decision that I would record every class that I taught oh my goodness and i yeah. archive all of my classes so i've been archiving my classes for about five years wow so it was kind of laborious and really boring and a little bit humiliating to hear all of my classes uh, uh listening to all my classes again yeah and uh, but i listened to several of them and kind of cataloged yep. how many times i called on females how many times i called on males wow so i had hard data yeah um to uh both you know to support my contention yeah um that there was no discrimination in that case and then the racist comments you can just show that same class that same tape yeah it was fantastic (laughs) it was fantastic like if you take all the words out of context it might sound bad Uh but if you put all words in context it's like it's like I'm making an argument that's a, a legitimate, important, I would say, true argument in each case. Okay, and uh, so yeah, all unbelievable, of them easily refuted. So you show all this evidence, and and they say, okay, you're not guilty. No, I mean you're never not guilty. Um, so uh, they, they will say that there's insufficient evidence to continue with the investigation. And uh, like, man, we could maybe find some if we uh, had some better allegations here or something. Wow. So pretty uh, sure you're guilty. We just can't prove it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, there's never this great moment uh, in a Title IX case where you are yep. genuinely exonerated. Mm-hmm. 
Um, now I, in, in the process, I got a, I got a lawyer who's a great, great lawyer. Her name is Samantha Harris. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's, did you let her speak on your behalf? This woman? Um, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, yes, I did. Oh, uh, she wrote. She wrote many communications for me. And, uh, I, I know when. Did I you let her raise her hand? <laughs> and I graded her very highly. Too, and um, great you know, move. She great you know, she was an excellent attorney, and uh, and she's represented many people in this situation. And it just never happens that you get through like I did. Like I'm wow. the first example that she's had. Wow. And uh, I like to say that I got through because I'm German. I'm ah, very organized. Yes. I'm prepared. Yes. And uh, I run systems when I need right. to. So so does does this kind of embolden you to want to, you know, be more uh, open at BSU to be more, you know, to write more articles that are going to frustrate them? I mean, is this what does this do? Does it make you more timid or make you just want to leave the university? I mean, how does it make you think about what you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to make me any bolder because yeah. I think I'm already kind of an excess of the courage uh, yeah. um, virtue in that way. Um, you know, I I am pursuing the lines of inquiry that I'm going to pursue, uh-huh. and uh, and I'm, I'm I have sabbatical this year. I'm going to be writing on these topics. Who gave you that sabbatical? Uh, Boise State. I mean, you're eligible every seven years okay. uh, to go up for sabbatical. I have. Uh, Were they pretty happy? Oh yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, <laughs> take no, a year I, off. I, no, I please. Two hands on my back. I was pushed out the door. <laughs> And um, we give you two years, <laughs> and uh, so I'll be I'll be writing on that uh, on that topic. Um, but the the question of you know staying on the university in the long term is something that I think a lot of serious academics think about these days. Yeah. In part because just the level of preparation of the students who are coming into school is so much lower than it was probably twenty years ago. Yeah, the combined effect of social media, Common Core. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, kind of degenerate public schools uh-huh. uh, have just led to the point where you know people don't know what side, who are the sides in the Civil War, and can't name generals, and yeah. they don't un- understand. Like they know Lincoln, but no other presidents. And so, teaching political philosophy is just much, much harder because wow. the soil is much thinner. Uh-huh. I think, and uh, so a lot of um, I've had my teacher uh, as an undergraduate just retired at the age of sixty-one. And uh, he's like, I'm, I, I don't think I'm teaching anyone anything. I mean, I'm up there teaching, but no one's learning. It's like, why should I keep doing this for a living? Wow. And uh, so I think that kind of thought is something that serious academics will entertain. So, I mean, you're seeing the decline of education in the freshman crop of students that come in, or I don't know, ET sophomore or whatever, junior, you're seeing that decline in education as it comes up to college. And that's making it very difficult to want to stay engaged. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the, the, the question, you know, it does, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around, does it make a noise? Well, for a teacher, the question is if you teach and teach and teach and no one learns, have you taught? <laughs> and, uh, and when you invest a lot of time in that and a lot of energy and like make it a central point of your life doing that, uh, and then you realize that it's kind of, falling on deaf ears uh-huh. or like that would be a reason to stop doing something. Mm-hmm. So Go I don't out into the woods and have a tree fall on you. Yeah, it would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I, I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah. So it's funny how they don't know anything about history, but they still feel compelled to tear down statues. Well, they do know that That's... American America is racist. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's the one thing that they know. Mm. And uh, so. Oof. Yeah. What? Um, so you heard my monologue at the very beginning, and it seems like a lot of the, the decline in America could be laid at um, the feet of the public school system. Um, they aren't really teaching. They're social engineering, and, and they're, they're particularly – hardlined trying to disciple liberals. I mean, that's the direction they want all their students to go. Um, they don't want to vote in Republican. Um, how do we, and then um, how do we, it seems like such a, a big problem to kind of say, Hey, this is where we need to fix this. But you know, where do we even begin? Yeah. I mean, that's obviously a huge question. I mean, I even think that in a way public schools are like a secondary thing mm-hmm. to the, to the climate that children are immersed in with social media mm-hmm. and uh, the the teachings and just the like uh, deadening of the attention span that comes with being consumed with social media. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, I, I think social media in the schools, the public schools, K through 12 are kind of teaching the same thing. Okay. And uh, but, so by the time kids come to the university, um, the immersion that they have in the social media world is way more important than anything that happens at the university. Yeah. And uh, it's difficult, more difficult to dent people's minds. So, I mean, I, I think that in a way, fixing the public school issue requires a prior thing, which is like, keeping kids for much longer off of all kind of media like that. Uh, I'm 50, so I was raised uh, and uh, had my education before the internet. That's great. Like I learned how to think before I was taught what yeah. to think. Yeah. And uh, and you know, in a way, like my son, uh, who's in his late 20s, uh, was born in 1995. He was pretty pre-internet. Like yeah. he learned yeah. how to think. He but, still could remember dial-up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, now when you're dealing with uh, 20 20-year-olds, say on the university. Um, they don't know a world without that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that like, is just creating a much more shallow human being. Wow. Cause they aren't reading books. They're reading tweets and yeah. And know. ideological shallow and more ideological. Yeah. Okay. And now, you know, we're in Idaho, we're in a conservative state and both me and you are very concerned about the direction our state's going. And, you know, um, where, where, where are your efforts, um, going in terms of, helping Idaho not go liberal and straightening, um, straightening the crooked road we're on. Yeah. I've written uh, a couple reports with uh, one of the local interest groups, Idaho freedom foundation on, um, on the way in which what we call critical social justice or diversity, equity, inclusion, ideology mm-hmm. uh, has penetrated the higher ed and the K through 12 system. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've tried to just illuminate that for legislators and for citizens so that they know what is going on in our public institutions. And uh, I'm continuing those kind of efforts uh, in other venues right now. Okay. And yeah. uh, and so we will probably be making some announcements about that soon. Okay. So what's what's the I know I'm pushing you on this a little bit. You don't need to give details. But what's like what's like the call of the day? What's the what the you know, people who are listening, tune in. They got their kids at maybe public university. They don't like where politics are going. Like what are the you know top three things you would tell our audience to kind of put their efforts in? Well, I mean, so first of all, your own kids. Um, I, I think you need to counter culturally raise your kids. So. Uh, teach your kids that getting married and having children 
is a greater priority than thinking about their career. Um, that mm. that their their moral character is more important than their career orientation, or what yeah. you want to call it, because mm-hmm. uh, because that's going to change uh, the whole economic landscape. Changes uh, smart people can do a lot of things, but without a genuinely moral foundation for your life, uh, it's going to be very difficult to find happiness. Yeah. And amen. And uh, so I think that's the number one thing. And then. The second thing is like, can that be done in the public schools? Yeah, and uh, and I think we're beyond the point where parents uh, can say, "I can't believe my public schools are doing that." Yeah, you should never be saying that now. Yeah, you should walk away. Yeah, and uh, walking away makes a lot of sense because, like, I can't believe they're teaching transgenderism to third graders. Well, right. like, look at the news, lady. Yeah. Like, and even in Idaho, yes, in Idaho, we're part of America. Yeah. So, uh, so I think walking away from schools that uh, that are uh, you know run by the public directly is uh, a responsible parenthood, and it's probably yeah. a necessary part to that first thing. Yeah. And uh, and then you know, third, I think. Uh, professions uh, that are kind of at a lower level. I, I would be much more open to children doing that than uh, than I would have been previously. Mm-hmm. So the trades, there's great needs for trades, owning business at the at local level, yep. doing things that are helping your community as opposed to thinking all about the, the nation or the globe. I think I would point people toward that. Yeah, that's, that's very good. Um, where can people follow you? What are they? Um, you got a website, uh, Twitter accounts. Where can people follow you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I have a Twitter account at maybe it's at Scott Yenner. I have a good friend who runs it. I try never to look at it. Um, <laughs> and I have a YouTube He's got station. Five tweets on his account. So. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think it, I think it's tweeted or twittered, whatever the word is. It's twittered often, um, but I just. I've Twitter sworn, I swore that I would never do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never look at it, and I'm trying to maintain that. But I do sometimes react, but it, it's done very indirectly. Yeah. Um, and I have a YouTube station, uh, Scott Yenner, where I do a lot of books, uh, Russian literature. Oh, okay. Uh, Michelle Welbeck, I just put some videos up on the great French writer. So, so just get the place. nomenclature just a little more accurate. It's a YouTube channel. You know, what did I say? You said station. Oh, just, channel. Know. All right, I'm sorry. I, mean, I didn't know I that. mean, you know. I have a channel. Just trying to help you out. Yeah, <laughs> like England. He's, he's being countercultural, Gabe. <laughs> YouTube station. Well, this this gets us to, you know, we always got to end the show with news that John Brandon can't, can trust. Because, you know, Scott, as you know, there's a lot of fake news out there in the world. And so we, we got to give, uh, we got to create space for people to, you know, trust the news. And so this this is a very important segment to our to our listeners, and it really our goal is to instill confidence back into true media over the coming year. So um, uh, this is the more the most important thing I do all week. It's news that John Brandy can trust. Minutes, yeah, <laughs> just this five minutes here. So so John, mm-hmm. um, news that John Brandy can trust. Um, the the gal who wrote uh, an essay on how to murder your husband was just found guilty of murdering her husband this last week in Oregon. Hmm. Well, I guess you can trust what she says in the essay. <laughs> it's it, it, it's real life. Apparently, it was a real life essay at, or it became a real life essay. It went from, it went from a non, uh, you know, some from fiction to nonfiction pretty quick. <laughs> right. Well, that's how you, that, that's what I, you know, you read an essay and you always go, well, does this person know what they're talking about? But if I'm reading an essay on how to kill your husband, and I know that she's actually killed her husband, 
It's like, that's the only essay I really even need to read. <laughs> it's, it's, we have an expert in the house on this question. Yeah. <laughs> she has theoretical and practical yeah. wisdom. Yes. Cert- certified. 100% certified. Oh, man. That's, uh, I, I, I didn't see how much gel time she's getting, but it sounds like she's going away for, for a minute. Um, and she literally shot her husband it so it, the, i guess the problem is she going away she, why why is she even going to jail is it still illegal to kill your husband apparently apparently really he's more than one years old oh yeah okay. he's out of the womb so okay news but that john brandy can trust male right he's a male <laughs> who cares yeah, he can do away with that news that john brandy can trust hyundai hyundai you know the, the car company yep recalls 230 39,000 cars for exploding seatbelts. Exploding seatbelts? <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, if you didn't know, the newer cars, you know where you click your seatbelt into? Yeah. There's this exploding piston mechanism that goes off, and what it does is it tightens the seatbelt if you get in a wreck. And so, the, the piston explodes or whatever, and it sucks the seatbelt tighter um, into the carriage that it's in so just kind of uh-huh. you know into the carriage that it's in and apparently it's it's been exploding at random and shrapnel has been sent out into people's thighs right there in the by the seatbelt and everything uh-huh. so but but what I, what I found odd about this is it only happened to five people and and it's becoming a recall 239,000 people recall I mean didn't the five people I mean didn't the vaccine like you know hurt more than just five people and they didn't recall it you know john yeah well if you are if you were one of those five people you would probably feel differently about that i I probably would but i'm just saying the standard for an exploding seatbelt versus the vaccine just way different remember how they told us that the seatbelt was the the only way that you could be guaranteed that you would be safe yeah in an automobile remember that yeah it sounds like these new seat belts, the technology in the new seat belts, maybe you're better off going through the windshield. I don't know. <laughs> Absorbing the shrapnel from the glass. Well, and here's the mm-hmm. thing is people don't make the connection between all these government mandates and safety mechanisms that they require in cars. Um, oftentimes, they do a lot of harm to people that no one follows. And you don't you don't read about in the news, but a lot of these uh, safety mechanisms can end up killing or can end up making, uh, you know, uh, injuring people at a you know decent scale yeah i don't know i have i i have kind of mixed mixed feelings about technology particularly in, in vehicles i the, the, it seems to me like the technology to monitor 360 degrees around your vehicle and and adjust your braking and all that yeah. sort of stuff that seems like it would be better left to a machine because a machine is not going to be texting and driving and eating french fries <laughs> you know what i mean the machine's going to be paying attention yeah can react much faster than we do and so there's a there's a line where i go yeah i i i, I would give them a bit of a pass i understand five exploding seat belts that's not ideal but you know what, what we we got to do we got to do something right i mean you got to you got to technology is going to continue to advance what if there's like all of it's bad what if there's like a uh, you know you ever seen those big car wreck episodes from like heavy fog what if yeah. what if technology broke down at a mass scale and did that you know 
and like all the cars started crashing into each other. Yeah. It's like the haunt of virus in a vehicle or something. Right. Like you saw iRobot, right? Where the, where the robots all went crazy. Yep. Um, and yeah, sure. It could happen. It could happen. Probably will. But there's somewhere I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I've been in a Tesla. You ever ridden in a Tesla and they put it into auto drive? Never have. I never have. It drives by itself. Okay. It's weird, but it works. Wow. You know, and you hear you hear a news story. It's like the Tesla crashed. And it's like, yeah, but there's what? Like a million of them on the road and right. one crashed. And so, you know, I don't yeah. know. Well, I, I, I believe you. The, the, the moral of the story is don't buy Hyundai. <laughs> that's it that's it news that john brady can trust don't wear a seatbelt. south sudanese authorities just sentenced a sheep to three years in military prison after it killed a woman by headbutting her mm. i wonder mm. what uh a sheep he was one of those ram the one of those ram sheep with the horns right, right, and everything right, right. And it headbutted her and killed her, and they put it in prison. I mean, like, what? What's the difference between being on a ranch and being in a prison and for a sheep? That was my question. That was right. Did the, did the ram? Was it a dramatic change of menu for the ram to go from a pen on a farm to a jail cell? Does he have a roommate? Does he have a cellmate? Or does he have a cell by himself? Maximum. I don't know if he's in maximum security. Maybe not. He has a boyfriend. He has a boyfriend. <laughs> what country was this in? Sudan, South Sudan. Sudan. Okay. Yeah. Isn't don't don't they execute him homosexuals there? South Sudan. Probably. You know the sheep so live. The sheep lives. This ram is that is that what they're going to do to re, like when he's going to when he gets out in ten or twenty years, whatever. Three. I think be, it's three. It's three years. So he's in military probation? prison for three years. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the end result is going to be. I mean, when he leaves prison, he's like he's rehabbed. You know, he's rehabbed. The probation hearing looked like well, they come, they have some woman come in and bend over and pick up laundry in front of the ram. Just, and just, if he doesn't react, then he's free to go. Well, there's probably a probationary period too. You know. Yeah. But I mean, imagine the sheep and you know in the in the pen. He's like creating a shank or something, trying to escape, and I don't know. You know what? What bothers me about this is uh, that there is that we blur the lines. We continue to blur the lines between humanity and the rest of the animal kingdom. Yeah. You know the idea that we can that we can enforce our morals or our sense of uh, our, our legal uh, system on the animal kingdom is a little bit idiotic. Yeah. Um, no. And. Well, and prisons don't really, really rehabilitate anybody. Maybe that's just what they're admitting. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's a sheep or a human. The prison doesn't work, but we got to punish them. <laughs> but you don't. you don't. You don't punish a ram for ramming people. That's how it got its name. It's called the ram. That's right. Because that's what it does. You that's right. You prison for that. Well, hey, Scott. Thanks for joining us on the water break. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your work. Look forward to some updates that are coming down the pipe. And uh, John, yeah. we're gonna we're going to Sunday, man. We're going to Sunday night next week. Prime time, baby. Yeah. 
uh, our show, uh, the Cross Baltic Sunday special. This is the last Sunday night that it's going to be on Sunday night uh, before we go to Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, but we got a great show coming up. Uh, we got um, at least one interview. We're working on a second interview for some important stuff, but can't can't really promise that right now. Um, but we got you a good show. I know. Do that. I know. You always do that. Oh, we got this great thing. What is it? Yep. I can't tell you. You got to tune in. But seriously, download the app. The app, the video live streaming capabilities are is way smoother. It's really smooth. And, you know, as you know, we're, we've been canceled on YouTube. We've been spinning on YouTube four times this last year. So the app is the way to get us, man. So download the app, Fight, Laugh, Feast app in your favorite store and stream us from your phone or your smart TV. So until next time, go fight, laugh, and feast. This is The Water Break. A republic is about the rule of law, not men. Armored Republic is devoted to seeing the God-given rights of free men preserved against mob chaos, criminal evil, and the jackboot of tyranny. Every purchase of body armor is another free man equipped to resist tyranny, another brother in arms, another hardened household ready to face down the wolves. Body armor is a tool of liberty, and every tool is for the purpose of working or keeping, creating or guarding, building or fighting. Join the Armored Republic. Build. Fight. Home. It's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. Or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy.